Hello, and welcome to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan, and I'm the editor of GrindMyReels.com. And I'm Mark. I am the editor and founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, One Man's Quest to Collect Every Issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Thanks for joining us for the second ever Superior Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this monthly podcast and that it provides a somewhat intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a little bit of a bigger picture. We'll begin by discussing recently released Spider-Man comics, and this episode we will be talking about Superior Spider-Man number 9, which was a very controversial issue. Um, from there, we'll speculate about where the series is headed, and then we'll also discuss uh, the past month's Spider-News uh, before concluding with a discussion about classic comic or comics from our collection. If you want to skip to a specific section, just use the chapter selection arrows on your player, particularly an iOS player, which I strongly suggest that you guys all listen to this show through. Because whenever you hear this sound, check your iPhone or iPod or whatever you're listening on, especially an iOS device, for a new photo or link to enhance your listening experience. You can email us any questions or comments that you have regarding this podcast to superiorspidertalk at gmail.com, and we'll try to address them on the air, or visit us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk. So Dan and I are jumping ahead with the schedule here a bit, uh, in large part because of the significance of issue nine. I know uh, we were originally talking about doing a monthly podcast. We're only in episode two, so I, I, I'm sure none of you noticed out there that our schedule is off. But uh, <laughs> if the solicitations are to be trusted, expect us back again some point in June after issues number 10 and 11 have dropped. Uh, but until then, enjoy this, I guess, bonus super quick turnaround episode of Superior Spider Talk. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm excited about it, and uh, we both – we just couldn't wait to express how we felt about uh, this issue. So that's a great uh, point to jump right into uh, the thoughts on our issue. So here we are. We're going to move into our review of Superior Spider-Man number nine. Um, so, uh, Mark, uh, do you think that this is a game changer that the solicitations made it out to be? Like did it make you as angry as I said, angrier than 700? Well, you know, I wasn't actually that angry after 700. I, I was kind of in wait-and-see mode, and I would describe my opinion as being the same with issue 9. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I actually liked this issue a lot more than uh, 700 because I feel that um, Dan Slott developed the story a lot better here. I felt that um, the big game-changing moments between, you know, in this memory scape battle between Doc Ock and Peter um, were well set up, uh, were well defined. Um, you know, the, some of the, the visuals were really striking. I thought this was probably one of the finest issues um, visually that Superior has done so far. Ryan Stegman really nailed the art with this, whether it was the, the, the full splash pages between um, Peter with his all his allies and Doc with his with his um, host of villains. Just the overall darkness of the issue, the the specter of of Doc Ock in the in the sky and the clouds, the use of water and 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 this kind of almost this Inception style uh, dis disorientation within the mindscape. I mean, it it really worked well, um, and. You know, the, 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 I guess the big question is, you know, who, who won the battle? I, I didn't know. I didn't know this was up for debate. I mean, the, 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 the ending seemed pretty clear to you, Dan. I think anybody that is uh, thinks that Peter Parker is in the body at the end is kind of nuts. Like, I don't see how you can misread it. It seems like as clear as day and that that's the entire point of the issue. And I'm not really sure how you can misinterpret it. I mean, I've read some articles of people thinking maybe he switched it out at the last second but I don't really see any evidence of that especially when Dan Slott spells it out very clearly in the AR um, functionality of the issue where he literally says like this is what he wanted to do all along and was made to delay it by his colleagues by including a Peter Parker ghost here's the behind the scenes stuff 
Why on earth would you do that? Why would you wipe out Peter Parker completely? He's gone now. Why didn't you just do that in 700 and not break my heart twice? Why? Why? You couldn't. Well, that was originally the plan. <laughs> the plan was originally, bam, and Doc Ock takes over, and now he's Doc Ock, and Peter Parker is just dead and gone, the end. But when we were having one of our Marvel creative summits, Boy, did that shake up the room. People were like, no! It's kind of fun. You think we're just sitting here being all comic book professionally. No, we're, we're, we're fans. And there were people in that room that were really upset. And like, you, you can't do that. And, and God bless him. The biggest fan in the room that day was Axel Alonso, our wonderful editor-in-chief, who was just like, how can you get rid of Peter Parker? How can you do a Spider-Man book without Peter Parker? So we talked about it. Everyone around the room, uh, Matt Fraction was throwing out ideas. Mark Wade was throwing out ideas. And one of the things we all settled on was Ghost Pete, that you would get Peter Parker in the end of the first issue of Superior Spider-Man number one. Bam! Kind of like a nice way to hold your hand and give you training wheels and go, it's all okay. He's going to find his way back. It'll all be okay. And then that way you're all, you're all kind of cool with it. You are cool with it, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> well, here's the thing. He's gone now. So suck it up. Suck it up. It's Doc Ock's world. It is the world of superior Spider-Man. My cameraman, Rich, is shaking his head no. He's saying no. This can't be happening. It's happening, Rich. Rich, it's happening. Live with it. Suck it up. Be a man. Be a Marvel fan man. Do it. Okay. We are now in the age of the superior Spider-Man. And this is where it gets crazy. We've got Doc Ock with no little Jiminy Cricket of Peter Parker whispering what he should be doing on his shoulder. It's gone. He's still, well, that's a really good question. Does he still want to be a superhero? Oh my God. You're, you're going to have to check out Superior Spider-Man number 10. <laughs> when does that come out? Oh my God. If I was a betting man, 100%, I would say it's Doc Ock in the body at the end. Yeah, that's I mean, the so, natural progression of the series. Yeah, I mean, I, and and just to kind of jump in and talk about Stegman for a second here. I mean, I feel of all the the artists that have been on Superior so far, he's been the best at, um, I guess, conveying the difference of emotionally and like facially of of Otto within Peter's body. And yeah. I mean that that grimacing Peter, or not grimacing that 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 coyly smiling Peter at the end of that issue. I mean that's. That's Stegman's Otto. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, he he he's gone out of his way to kind of visually define the character in a certain way, and and like I think to assume that that's Peter at this point is is uh, you know maybe wishful thinking from some. There's there yeah I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's a it's a desire to see Peter possibly coming back, but um, you know what. I'm ready for some auto. I want to see what this what this does, and we'll talk about where we think this is going later. But um, yeah, I want to agree with you on Stegman's art. I think it's so great in this issue. Um, every issue of his, I wanted to go and buy a page of his of his art, and then I realized how expensive it is. Um, but uh, man, I love the big spreads and, uh, of the villains and allies um, that we get in this issue, and it's great to see this dreamscape return to. For like the third time in Dan Slott's run, he likes to do this a lot, and it's different every time. You know, be it you know after the death of Marla Jameson or after Peter's, I guess, apparent death that was also a dreamscape in on in Forest Hills. Um, to this one, the kind of like destroyed, dilapidated New York, they've all been really uh, great, and I love looking at those pages and picking out who each person is in the supporting cast. Um, that we're seeing in the background. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt this was by far the most powerful interpretation of, of, of the, the dreamscape, mindscape, whatever you want to call it. Um, just because, yeah, I, I mean, with the with just the overall darkness and the moodiness, I mean, it, it, it really advances the story. I mean, whereas I feel like in some of the earlier instances, while I enjoyed those sequences a lot, um, it, it almost felt like... Um, like a, a holding pattern for the issue. It's, 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 it's Peter kind of regrouping and regenerating. Whereas here, I mean, 
kind of go in with the visual sequence, it's him falling apart. The bricks are coming out of the wall, so to speak. And um, it, it, it was just really used effectively. I, I mean, and, and, you know, just to kind of jump on what you were saying earlier, you know, in, in large part, I feel like, and, and without jumping to speculation, we're, we're, we're getting set up to get the superior Spider-Man that we probably should have gotten starting with issue one without um, specter interference from characters who may or may not be around uh, physically in any way. Yeah, and I, for this one, I really enjoyed the, the way the mindscape was drawn because it shows like a, a sense of importance in Peter's life. Um, you have this um, looming visual of the Brooklyn Bridge featured prominently in the background um, at all times, and that's just really haunting to me. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing seeing that get like uh, you know this because I imagine that's the way he thinks is he always has that in the back of his mind, you know. Uh, you know the death of his girlfriend, um, and and seeing this kind of phantom New York City was exciting. Even the um, Empire State Building makes a appearance, um, and I think that was a lot of fun to see this kind of fight play out against his mind. Um, as for get... me, oh sorry. Uh, as for me, uh, I, I I again I'm with you. I, I'm not angry about this issue at all. If anything, it made me happier because. Um, you know, Ghost Peter has been handled, you know, in a mixed range of effectiveness. Uh, and, and getting rid of him, I'm ready to see what I really care about, which is, you know, Ox Spider-Man, that story be told. Um, and it only serves to progress the story and give us different material than we've ever seen before. And I think I'm trying to understand people who are really offended by these comics. I mean, if you knew – if this was your first comic ever, I could maybe see that making you angry. But if you've been with the comic book industry for as long as we have or even just a short you know, shorter time than us, you know that, you know, these stories always rebound. You know, the nature of comics is that we return back to what they were, possibly with some slight changes, but time is a really good way of smoothing things out, you know? Do we honestly expect Peter to be gone forever? Yeah, I I mean, and I think one of the things that um has really drawn the anger, you know, some angry responses from people was was um, the characterization of Peter at the end um, of this of this mindscape battle. And so how did you feel about that? I, you know what, I, I, I don't. The thing I heard was people saying, "Oh, it's so out of character that he would, you know, he would give up that way, and that you know, Otto would 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 corner him by talking about in issue eight, not um, not helping the little girl because he was afraid of the um, the, the, the helmet, uh, revealing his presence in Otto's brain patterns. And I, I just don't see that as that. I, I mean, the, well, first of all, um, I could see that, you know, Otto throwing that in Peter's face being like a total demoralizing blow to Peter because, you know, Peter, Peter, it's long been established. He, he is his number one critic. He is his toughest critic. He, he has long blamed him. I mean, you know, his whole essence of being Spider-Man and being a hero is because he blames himself for the death of his uncle. And, and he can't get over that. Um, he, he, he has never, resolve that self with him. I mean, it, we, we are constantly coming back to that major failure. And then there was, there's the failure of Gwen Stacy and the failure of Marla Jameson and, and, you know, and on and on and on. And, you know, I, I, I felt, um, the interplay between, uh, Otto and Pete was really effective in terms of Otto really bringing forward why he is the superior Spider-Man. And, and, you know, I took care of massacre and I, I took down the vulture who was using children and then and then, you know, I saved this girl, which you weren't going to let me do. And Peter's initially, oh, well, you know, I didn't trust you. But um, revealing that he was being selfish, I think, works in this case, because, you know, people talking about, well, that you know, Peter would never be selfish because of Uncle Ben and because of Gwen Stacy and because of these things. You know, Peter has also never physically lost his body to his greatest adversary before. This is new terrain. And I could see Peter being selfish in a moment like this because it still plays into power and responsibility. You know, what, what's 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 Peter more responsible for um, getting his body back? So uh, a lifelong supervillain isn't potentially doing harm Absolutely. as Absolutely. Or, or saving this one child. And I know, you know, no one no more. Di- no one dies and no more deaths and all that. But this was a really complicated 
decision for Peter. And I, I think people are trying to look at it in black and white terms. Like he would never do that. I, that, you know, I, I feel that slot has brought a lot of complexity to the character, you know, you know, going well back before superior. And, and this was just a reflection of that. This was, this was a hard situation. <laughs> this is, this is the hardest situation he's ever been in. This is probably harder than 30 tons of steel on top of him, you know, in, in amazing Spider-Man 33. And, um, people saying this is out of character, I think are, are just, are being too blinded by, they're not paying attention to where the story is right now. I think that's what I, I think they to. want Spider-Man to be kind of like Rorschach, a black and white deciding character about responsibility. But my favorite thing that slot has brought to the series is the moral grays of Peter's responsibility, even all the way back to, I'm glad you mentioned the no one dies, um, is kind of an irresponsible uh, claim to make. You know, um, it might be morally responsible, but is it being responsible? Like, what is what does responsibility mean? And I think that's a lot at the heart here of of what Slot's trying to do is question what responsibility means to Spider-Man, and and it it's characterized so well with Doc Ock because it's not a supervillain just like looking for power or like. You know, he legitimately thinks that he is being more responsible, and there is something to be said there. When you read it, you know, maybe he is being more responsible, and um, it makes me question what I think the role of Spider-Man should be. And and that should be the case, you know, in a book like this. There should be a discussion about who and what Spider-Man is and whether or not he is doing the effective uh, job that, that he thinks he's doing. Um, and I've enjoyed that quite a bit. And I agree with you. Peter is his biggest critic, um, and and I thought that point that moment rung really true. So um, yeah, yeah. And it, I'm sorry. It just pays off everything that Slot's been building since I, I feel since big time. I mean, you know, in terms of he was he's he's been building the character up in some ways. You know, the Horizon job and the relationships with you know first Carly Cooper, but but you know, the, the, there's there's also been this undertone that he's he's losing a step. And yeah, like the the, the, the no one dies thing. Was was just I feel like you said it's an irresponsible claim because you're just not in control of that you know and and um so it it works in that sequence and showing this undertone of of, of Peter I think losing touch about what being Spider Man is about yeah and you know I feel I can really relate to that we all can relate to that in our lives where we make progress in our lives we're getting like a job at Horizon Labs or something like that you know we. We move on to a next step and we think we're getting somewhere and we only, you know, those of us who are proactive only try to do more and more and more with each, you know, thing. And, and at some point you need to say, like, what, what is the line? When is enough? Um, you know, and, and Peter is going to have to come to that too. He's building tons of suits for himself. He's inventing all of these things, you know, and that's great. But at what point is he you know, shirking a responsibility or, or moving beyond where he should be. And I think this is an interesting examination of that. But let's get back to the um, the actual issue itself. Um, what did you think about, like, the moment-to-moment, like, the, the fight? You know, would you put this amongst one of the better Spider-Man battles? Or um, what are your feelings on, on how the issue played out? I, I, I definitely – I mean, this, this might be my favorite, um, Peter and – Doc Ock battle, which says a lot because they've had some great ones. Um, just uh, it, there was there was so much desperation um, being portrayed both visually and with Slot's dialogue, and and I and I loved, you know, I loved the whole idea of of each one of the characters ripping a layer off and and kind of upping the ante. Whether it's you know here are my friends, well here are your villains. Well then I'm fighting you as Spider Man and I'm fighting you as Otto and now I'm fighting you as Superior Spider Man. And it, it, the stakes just kept getting higher and higher. And you know having this all take place in this this dark and twisted universe um, just really added to this to the despair of the issue. And and you know. In kind of a fitting way, the fact that what ultimately subdues Peter is something emotional and mental. It's not physical because, you know, we, we've it's very hard to physically overcome Peter. Uh, you know, some characters have come close, but, you know, the, the way the character has long been defined is through um, 
his never say die spirit. And, and, you know, doc found the way to beat him. He, you know, he's been him, he's in his mind. So he knows how to truly demoralize him to, to defeat him. And, and that, that's, no, it's not an inspiring, uplifting moment, but it's powerful. I mean, like, you know, we, we, we need to see this from our heroes, you know, like I mean, Peter's always been a flawed character, but we need to see, um, his, I think the weakness demons is demons overcome him. Quite yeah. Literally. Yeah, exactly. And, um, what did you think of the, the, the last few panels with, with Peter kind of disappearing, uh, losing his memories? I thought they were really devastating. The, the, the moment when he forgets about Uncle Ben, it, that's about the lowest blow you could ever, uh, you know, do to Spider-Man. And and with all the, I loved the fight myself, and I loved that it was not only a physical fight, like ev- like you said, every punch is backed by who is uh, having the better moral argument um, as they trade blows over like physically and over who is doing the job better. Um, and, uh, this might be, like, I agree with you. This might be my favorite Doc Ock fight, which is saying a lot. And it might be one of my favorite Spider-Man fights ever, because it's not only a physical battle. It's also a battle of what does it mean to be Spider-Man? Um, but, uh, yeah, the final panels are, are really, um, just watching all those characters get killed again. And also knowing that with that comes the erasing of their existence within Peter's mind is really devastating, um, and uh, oh my goodness, what an effective use of Peter Palmer! Yeah, I mean that was just a home run. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, that you know, and it and it shows how you know people always go back and forth. The slot is slot truly the biggest Spider-Man fan, but you know, then then he does something like that, and how can you deny it? Yeah, so if those of you who don't know and maybe um, aren't as up on your uh, Spider-Man lore, Peter Palmer um, is a classic Stan Lee mistake in one of the early – do you know the exact issue? I don't remember. No. Well, Stan Lee forgot the name of his own character in one of the first issues of Spider-Man and wrote Peter Palmer instead of Parker. Um, and it's kind of been an in-joke among Spider-Man fans for a long time. And to see it pop up here and in a really effective moment that makes sense within the story um, was like – if I could give a standing ovation to a comic book, I think that would have been it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean like I said, Slot, Slot clearly has a handle on, on things. I mean you know, people who say that either he doesn't appreciate or he, he, he uses some supporting characters as kind of – you know fodder for to advance other stories or his own villains i i i just you know the fact that he could reach back and and pull out that little nugget i think you know says all there needs to say about that and you know as for those who are really upset about this issue because they think peter parker is now dead uh i i think i got a bridge to sell you somewhere Oh man! So, how do you feel about um, Ock as like Spider Spider Man's villains now? Like everybody always like says, "Okay, Goblin is like Spider Man's number one villain." And the more I read of this, the more I'm like, "Man, Ock might be my new favorite Spidey villain." Like he is now truly an A list villain in the world of Spider Man. Yeah, I mean, I I think it, it reflects on also how the goblin slash Norman Osborn has been um, characterized over the last couple of years or last 10 years, really. Well, since he got resurrected in the nineties, I mean, he kind of became more of this Luther um, wants to take over the world villain. Um, Whereas, you know, in, in the early days, it it was really just an obsession with, with Spider-Man and his universe. And, you know, now that's really become Otto's territory. I mean, and, and I mean, Otto from the get go, I think has always been the better foil. I mean, the fact that they're both so rooted in science, they both were wallflowers. I mean, heck, you know, eight, eight legged spider, eight, eight armed octopus. I mean, it, it just, it just works for all intensive purposes. Um, I think if slot has had any kind of legacy on this title, it's the fact that he's, um, I think recognized what, um, Dicko and Lee, 
recognized in the 60s that this is truly the character that's the, the foil for Peter. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I was thinking about when I was reading this whole issue is that like – and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with this – that you know, uh, the one more day controversy, like this – this feels to me like a smart story that could change the character while it's all while also being faithful to who that character is. And like I feel like this is the kind of story that One More Day should have been. If you're going to rewrite the character, like this is the kind of way to do it. It proves that like strong writing can do any kind of story and that bad writing only serves to undermine your readership, which I think is what happened in One More Day. And here we're getting what could potentially rewrite Peter Parker as a character if he even exists anymore, which we both agree is, you know, uh, more than likely. Um, uh, But when he comes back, like, who is he going to be? And uh, and I'm curious to find out about that. But I wouldn't feel insulted if he changed significantly. No, I I I agree with you. I mean, you know, I felt that. One of the results of Brand New Day was that they, they kind of made the character into a bit of a, a loser, which actually when you, when you talk to some Bronze Age uh, fans of Spidey, they, they say, oh, that's what I loved about him. I mean, it just so happens the Bronze Age is actually one of my least favorite periods for the, for the character because yeah. I felt that they just didn't take him seriously enough. Um, not that he's a serious character, but, but you know, like he shouldn't he's, – he's still a smart guy who, who's just made some bad decisions, but – um, yeah, I mean, now now there are some repercussions for for how he's been living his life out of some of the success he's had since big time. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think you can't bring this character back and then you know have him back having wheat cakes with May. You know, I mean, I think this is <laughs> there's there's this you know there. The, the character is probably going to be a darker character no matter what. I mean, you know, he was. You know, I guess you could say that when he was buried alive by Craven, he got a little dark, but that kind of dissipated pretty quickly because you know then we were moving on to the McFarlane Michelini era, which was just a whole other bag. Um, so yeah, I, I would not be offended if he was changed. I mean, it's characters need to change. I, I mean, yeah, just think, just think in all the other comic books how how there have been changes to the status quo and things have been okay. As long as, like you said, you have good writing. I, you know, I, the problem with brand new day, like you said, was the, the writing wasn't good. And, and, you know, the, and, and the status quo that they changed was, was more cosmetic than anything else. I don't think it changed the character. They just, they wanted to get rid of uh, a plot device that was thought of to be inconvenient. And it, it, it's not like, you know, I, what I didn't like about the changes in, in, in that era were not so much, um, oh, he's got to be married to MJ. I mean, I wasn't reading those stories being like, you know what this story needs is a marital spat between Peter and Mary Jane. But it was just, you know, I felt that they started missing the mark on who the character was. I mean, it was it was just kind of more meandering. And, and it wasn't until Slot really took over full time that, that, that it got direction again, in my opinion. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you know, having a dedicated writer on the book with pl- like plans, long-term plans is a huge thing. Um and you can see it in Slot's thing, in, in Slot's writing. He knows where he's going with this. And I'm excited to see how this story plays out. Yeah. So um, you said you really like this issue. Uh before we move on to speculation, uh what kind of a grade would you give it if you had to give it a letter grade? Well, I'm going to give it what I was. It would be. I have not been grading all these issues so far, <laughs> um, but uh, this would definitely be my highest grade for a superior issue so far. I would give it an A. I, I just thought this was the perfect transition into uh, a new era of stories with this character, and um, you know, between the art and the story itself, and how things were weaved in, the references. Um, it was a real masterclass um, from Slot and Stegman, and I, I can't, I can't. The flaws that I, you know, you can find with it, I think, are very minor. Yeah, and even with it repeating what, like, I thought what would ha- what already happened in number seven hundred, this is my new favorite issue of the series, and possibly my favorite Slot issue. I'm going to give it an A plus. 
Okay, you're 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 adding the plus. I you know I I was going on the college grading scale of you know there is no plus, but okay, fine. I you you liked it that much more. I, I can accept that. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't, why don't we use this to kind of jump ahead of where we think the series is going? I mean, even a little more than we've already talked about. I mean, again, I, I, I repeat to I repeat to the people out there: if you think Peter Parker is dead, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you anymore. You must not read comic books. Um, there, there is the way I see it, and, and, and Dan, I know you have even more specific theories. Yeah, um, and, and we can call back to what we predicted last episode. Yeah, um, but but just to kind of play off of even last episode, um, you know, there are consequences for actions, and and I mean, all I can say about the the existence of of Peter, whether it be astral Pete or memory Pete or physical Pete, is that Doc Ock, a a super genius, uh, a man of science, has erased parts of his memory, parts of the memory that were Peter's memories, but were part of his brain patterns. Actions have consequences, and if you can't see that as the opening for how things can be resolved, again, I, I just don't know what to tell you. But like, actions have consequences, and I feel that Slot is, as a writer, is someone who recognizes that. So unless Slot jumps off this this title before this is resolved, I mean, I think I think the opening is still there. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I cannot wait for the first page of Superior Spider Man number ten. Because who is this new character now? I can't wait to see how he's defined, what he, how he operates, how he encounters Spider-Man's villains, like as Spider-Man, but only operating with Ox memory pattern. Um, it's going to be like reading a completely new character, um, a really twisted character, um, and I'm ex- I I cannot remember a time I was more excited to read an issue and not because of like, yes, there's a big cliffhanger at the end. Like, you know, Oh, it's Ock now in Peter's body. There's not like anybody dangling off a ledge, but I feel that way emotionally about the series. Like, you know, who is this guy I'm following now? Like what, what is he going to be like? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, I still think that there is potential for Otto as Spider-Man to do good and to be and to redeem himself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we saw that in issue eight. Um, it's not just going to be, you know, Spider-Man's a villain now, which I think is the other thing that's like upsetting some people. This idea that, um, you know, he, he that the good guy is now the bad guy. I, I think it's more complicated than that. Um, but I, I, I do think that there is going to be a point where um, – Otto is going to realize he needs Peter. Um, Absolutely, and I, and I think that's how we get Peter back. Is it might be even Ock on a quest, you know, to regain Peter's memories. Yeah, I mean, and then the thing is, like, when you think back to the whole, the whole existence of of Astral Peter, Spirit Peter, whatever you want to call him, um, you know, like I, I know they were showing like in earlier issues him working the hand and, and stopping him from killing somebody or, or kind of serving as this like, you know, conscious part, you know, as, as his good conscious, like Jiminy Cricket. But the, I think the, the idea of Peter reclaiming his body that way was always a very awkward proposition. Um, cause you, you would really have to stretch that, um, someone as egotistical and, and maniacal as doc, doc Ock would, would let that happen. Um, but if Doc Ock has to let that happen for the good of his existence as Spider-Man, then we have something here. You know, I think that that plays more into how the characters are. I very much expect this to be flipped on its head with uh, – we see a reverse version of 700 where like Ock is scrambling to recover Peter um, You know, because he's a he's – a, He's going to do what's best for himself. Ock is a preservationalist, and he is going to try to make it so that he lives as long as possible. And I don't know how this will happen, 
but I imagine that having Peter Parker's memories will become essential to being Spider-Man and, and living in that body at some point. Yeah, and and you even had a pretty cool idea about visually how they can get Peter back. I, I, I'd love to hear you talk about it because I, I when you when you mentioned it to me earlier, I just thought that was phenomenal. Yeah, so um, you know, there's a I think there's an uh, obvious intention behind the watery imagery in this past issue, issue nine, um, that calls back to issue thirty three of Amazing Spider Man, wherein if you don't know, uh, Peter is buried under tons of rubble in one of the most iconic moments in Spider-Man history where he has to lift the rubble over his head. Um, it's amazingly captured by Ditko. Um, and of course it's, it's of course it's worth noting that this was with a battle in battle with Doc Ock that he got put in this position. Right. If not the most famous battle with Doc Ock, uh, of all of Spider-Man history. And, um, I don't think it's a mistake that, uh, Dan Slott has Peter Parker buried under rubble, um, within Doc Ock's mind. Um, with water everywhere and and just you know and buried, my guess is that the visualization of Peter coming back will be him lifting that rubble over his head and i i 'll tell you what when that happens, if that happens i will I will applaud slot uh because while I might be guessing that this is it, like the setup is brilliant um, and if he 's thinking that far ahead in terms of visualization. This is a writer on Spider-Man um, unlike we've ever seen before, I think. Um, and so I, if that is a moment, I cannot wait to see that happen. Yeah, I fully expect that, that Dan Slott wrote this issue knowing the resolution, whether that be 10, 20, 30, 40 issues from now. He knows how this is being resolved. And, um, you know, I, I also wouldn't be shocked, too, if, like, all of the, the July um, – Superior Spider stuff um, was a little bit of an, I don't want to say a red herring, but, um, you know, the fact that, as you talked about with Shadowland, um, the Shadowland stuff, that some of the imagery almost kind of seems to be revisiting this master planner arc that from where Amazing Spider-Man 33 concludes, um, you know, maybe, maybe we start getting some teases of that then. Um, this is a callback. Um, or maybe not, but it, the thing is, there's there's a resolution in mind, and and once you pointed that out, even if it doesn't play out that way, I, I you know, it, it, it's kind of a Chekhov's gun moment, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, a really subtle Chekhov's gun moment, but I think a really effective one nonetheless. speculation we can do because really i don't even know who the character we're going to be following um in a couple weeks is um and where that's going to go so let's move into um some of the spider news that we got this week out of c2e2 um, which is a big convention um and dan slot well he wasn't there he was on the phone but they had a big spider-man panel there and we got um a batch a bunch of information that actually goes back to what we were talking about last episode with Miguel O'Hara or Spider-Man 2099 and we found out that he is going to debut in Superior Spider-Man number 17 in September um, and we have some thoughts on that so what do you what do you think about this announcement well I mean and we touched upon this a little bit last week when we were trying to speculate who Carly Cooper was talking to and I guess we can now put that theory to rest um, yeah but um you know, for me, the the question was how how are they going to incorporate the character? And it definitely seems like um, it's going to be via the time door created by um, 
by like one of the guys at Horizon, Grady Scraps. Uh, what was that issue six? 80 blah, blah, blah. Uh, what, what issue was that Dan it's something like that yeah <laughs> um, I particularly enjoyed those issues but I'm I'm a little uh, confused on the number right now yeah yeah and 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 you know slats obviously he's a huge um doctor who head so I mean we're, we're we're gonna get some time travel and I think that's probably the best way to bring in 2099 I don't know if he's going to be an adversary of of the superior spider-man or a hero um, I'm still in wait and see mode. Um, again, kind of repeating myself from episode one. I was never a huge Spider-Man 2099 person in the nineties. I kind of saw the whole thing as a bit of a gimmick. Um, but, um, you know, they, they're going to apparently going to have a new trade paperback that comes out with some of the original stories. I mean, maybe that's something that I'll check out or see if they put some stuff up on the Marvel U app or something just to kind of get myself, um, reacquainted because I have not read those comics in well since '93, so that's how many years? That, that's 20 years ago. My 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 goodness, uh, <laughs> uh, the fact that that's 20 years ago and those were not my first Spider-Man comics just kind of makes me feel old. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it does sound like they're going to maintain a lot of the original elements from the character. Stegman has already said he's going to keep the co- the costume the same, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the art actually, looks great. Yeah, the art does look great. Um, and I guess Slot also has a, has um, experience writing the character for that Shattered Dimensions game, um, which I never played. But I don't know. I don't know if you're a gamer or not, Dan. But um, yeah, I played it and I enjoyed it quite a lo- quite a lot. And I really actually liked what he did with the 2099 character in that. Um, so much, and it must have been well liked because they even made a sequel featuring just uh, the original uh, Spider-Man and 2099. And I thought that this was going to be the way that they bring that series back. And I imagine that's what they're going to do because uh, they need another Spider-Man title. I think it's it seems like it's time for 2099 to return. And what better way to do it than to bring him into the actual series of Spider-Man? Yeah, and, and, and Marvel's been using time travel a lot lately. And, 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 and I mean, Age of Ultron is all time travel right now. Um, we have, you know, heroes in the future, heroes in the past. Um, so, I mean, this this... This, I mean, who knows? This might even kind of tie into you know the new big status quo that Marvel keeps talking, you know, hinting at with with Age of Ultron right now, which is supposed to be happening in the current time, according to everyone who works at Marvel. Although, if you read the issues, it still feels like it was written in 2012 or yeah. 11. Um, but that's okay. Uh, we're not getting into Ultron here. So uh, I have some uh, <laughs> speculation to get back into about how I think Miguel is coming back. All right, let me hear it. So, yes, we have the time door from Grady Scraps, which was dismantled, but they definitely still have time travel technology, and I imagine that they'll utilize that to bring him back. But Dan Slott said in an interview that um, uh, clues to uh, Miguel O'Hara's return were seeded in single issues of uh, Amazing Spider-Man that were then changed in trade paperback form – so as to hide it a bit better, um, which makes it seem like it had to be something fairly obvious that we would pick up on. Um, and thinking about it, I can only think of a few things that could be altered in the trade paperback, and that's typically dialogue. Would be, and I've seen that change before in a trade paperback. Um, and so I, I don't own the trade paperbacks. I don't, so I don't know that this has been changed. But the best tie that I can find to the 2099 universe in Dan Slott's run of Amazing Spider-Man is the character of Tiberius Stone, who is a a worker at Horizon who's kind of selling out information to uh, the Kingpin. Do you know this character? I have vague recollections of it, but I I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and he kind of – he's kind of like the bad guys into Horizon Labs, and he kind of is on the run now um, because – he kind of screwed over the kingpin or his he made a mistake so he's kind of i'm not sure his current location but we know he's running around but if you have read 2099 the name of Tiberius Stone should sound kind of familiar to you because the head of the CEO of Alchemax um uh the man is the head of Alchemax is this guy Tyler Stone and he's the guy who created Spider-Man 2099 and one of his main villains. 
And I would think with someone like Dan Slott writing the book, the last name of Stone is no mistake. Um, that has to be intentional. And I imagine that uh, Tiberius Stone is possibly Tyler Stone's grandfather. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe to escape the kingpin, he travels through time. I, I have no idea. But that to me seems like a logical link between the two worlds. Dan, there's a reason why we keep you around, and I think it's <laughs> I think it's for this. Yeah, I mean that 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 certainly seems to make sense. Um, you know, I think you got a better hot handle on the source material here than I do, um, so I'm not I'm certainly not in a position to disagree. But you know, again, taking taking slot's work as a whole, you know, nothing is ever unintentional, and and. And I think I think you might you might be onto something here, but you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll wait back because you know we, we we don't want we don't want to spoil too much of the Marvel universe for everybody because you know we because Dan is you know so brilliant with his insights and his predictions. But <laughs> well, hey, I'll have you know that you uh, you outguessed me. I thought uh, Peter Parker would make it through issue nine, so you got me wrong on that one. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was it was a it was a swing it was a lucky swing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, all the evidence I think was in in your in your favor, but maybe in the long term, my guess was correct. Yeah, definitely. Um, but but speaking of time travel, why why don't we uh, go back a little bit and 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 segue into our, our the part of the podcast where we actually talk about comics from the past. Maybe this might be a little bit of a cheap tie-in to uh, a big movie that opened up this weekend starring a certain uh, shell-headed Avenger. Um, But I wanted to look at the run of Amazing Spider-Man issues 529 to 531. This was a precursor to the big Civil War event, uh, Mark Millar's Civil War. Uh, These three issues were written by J. Michael Straczynski, and um, they were significant because they introduced uh, a new slick costume for Peter, the, 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 the Iron Spider costume. And it also was a, a, one of the truly extensive Peter Parker, Tony Stark um, team-up issues that I, I, that I can think of in the Spider-Man universe. And I think it did a really slick job of, of showing both the similarities and, and differences uh, between Peter and Tony and the idea of what it is to be a hero and what power and responsibility means. Is this also the first uh, issue to introduce the Superhero Registration Act? I believe so, which, I mean, the Superhero Registration Act, um, for, for those uninitiated, uh, was the creation uh, as kind of the source of conflict for, this, for the Civil War series. Um, it's a, a clear allegory to what was going on in the world post-September 11th in terms of the Patriot Act and, and all these other ideas of, of choosing um, security over freedom. Um, you know, the, the, the basic premise of the act was that um, the world's here, you know, super-powered uh, individuals would have to register their, their identities and uh, powers with the federal government so that they could be essentially regulated uh, for the safety of others. This whole thing gets spurred on by uh, a big uh, explosion in Stanford that was Stanford, Connecticut, which was uh, because of a reality show, which uh, Speedball, I think, was the uh, the the main uh, antagonist in, in this whole fiasco. And I always kind of laugh about this because I actually was working in Stanford at the time that Civil War was coming out. Um, I worked for a, a daily newspaper there and uh, because we covered community news and local news, uh, one of the comic book shops uh, in Connecticut, in Stanford, Connecticut, was part of the rubble in uh, in the first Civil War scene, and I think it was uh, <laughs> Spider-Man 532. So, 
the paper ran an interview with the uh, the comic book shop owner. Apparently, like you know, Marvel had approached him about using his facade, and of course, he was like, "Absolutely, this is fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get to be in a comic book." Uh, <laughs> so, um, he, so the, I mean, the the the, the, the I actually liked Civil War a lot as as you know, kind of a interesting political statement on things without getting into politics too much because that's that's neither here nor there but um i think as a setup 529 and 531 are really solid setup for kind of showing you know one of the big moments of civil war also is is peter pulling off the mask which is you know kind of what necessitates the whole deal with um mephisto in uh in um for one more day um the fact that he reveals his identity and then all of, all of his you know the kingpin in this case uh, takes it upon him to to attack Spider-Man or Peter Parker personally, um, but he, you know Spider-Man st- takes his mask off because he believes you know he he sides with Tony Stark with Iron Man because he thinks this is for for the benefit of all and you, you know you can see in these three issues that manipulation starting to sink in. Yeah, I mean it's pretty deliberate. You see Tony Stark working with Titanium Man uh, to like subvert Peter's feelings on on the matter and and also the um the government's feelings on on the superhero uh registra- superhuman sorry registration act uh yeah i mean and and you know initially in this arc you, you get the sense that that tony is is arguing against um this regulation and and you know we're, we're trying to kind of figure out where the where the flips uh switched or where the switch flipped, excuse me. Um, and for me, the moment, and this was, I felt, a really powerful moment in, in, you know, for both the characters and obviously for the, you know, for for Marvel history is, is um, at the end of 531, it's it's Tony and Peter standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and and they kind of set this up a little earlier where um, Spider-Man as in his Iron Spider costume, which, by the way, I thought that was a really cool costume, and uh, I, I would love to see. Uh, a throwback to that only because of um, the, the I love the eight armed the, the, the additional appendages that Tony built into uh, the Spider-Man costume. I mean, yeah, I it's think- one of my favorite redesigns of the costume, mostly because it's so different than than anything else we'd ever seen. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, t- talk about you know a character who would want to use additional appendages of Spider-Man. I, I would think Otto would 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 fall right into that, um, but. You know, there's this scene at the end, you know, it's set up with a scene with Peter as Spider-Man in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And he's in awe of it. He's in awe of Lincoln. And Tony later after, you know, before the reveal that he set things up by aligning himself with Titanium Man, Tony is looking up at Lincoln and, you know, he's reveling in it. But he's also looking at it very pragmatically as then um, this is a man who who made tough decisions and, and was willing to preserve um, the prosperity of the union, even if there was blood on his hands. And if that doesn't kind of speak to what the whole thing of what civil war was about, I mean, obviously with Lincoln, it was the civil war, the American, the U S civil war, but you know, it, 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 to me, that's kind of the moment where Tony starts to see, this, you know, maybe he has a greater good. And that's kind of where I feel like the power and responsibility uh, is kind of flipped on its ear, too, because, you know, there's there's a bit of naivete with Peter with power and responsibility. I mean, he's thinking he's thinking I don't not even naivete. I think he's thinking smaller. And I think because Tony is very clearly a narcissist. <laughs> I mean, that's that's <laughs> never a loss. Um, Tony is thinking such grander things about what his power, you know, the responsibility, what he can do for everybody, for the world, using his power. You know, I don't think Spider-Man thinks in those terms. And it's uh, very clear in the issue because Peter, he, you know, speaks up in these con- congressional or senatorial hearings um, about his opinions on things and kind of gets Tony in a little bit of hot water. But it is very true to who Peter is. He, he, do- he will speak truth to power with no idea of the politics of the situation, but it keeps the character uncomplicated. And that naivete is key, um, a key part of like who Peter is and how he handles, um, the world around him. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, so I mean, just, I know these issues aren't specifically, um, 
valuable from a collecting standpoint. Although I think the Iron Spider debut issue commands a little bit of of, of money. It was hard for me to find. Um, I was out of the country when these three issues came out, and coming back, they were um, really hot issues leading into Civil War, and I had a hard time finding them. So they're actually amongst issues that I've read. Not uh, that many times and, and still can kind of surprise me when I read them. Definitely. All right. Well, well, you know, it was good to touch upon that and, and to, you know, work in our obligatory Iron Man reference. You know, again, I haven't seen the movie yet, Dan. I know you have, but you'll 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 talk your thoughts about that in, in another uh, medium, I'm sure. Yeah. But but why don't we um, we 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 got evidence that people are listening to our podcast. <laughs> I know. Who thing. are these people? I know. I, you know, apparently, apparently Twitter and chasing amazing are effective device to, to create listeners. Um, and we did in the first episode talk about wanting to read some of these responses. So Dan, why don't, why don't you take it from here? Okay. So we got, uh, three, uh, reviews on our iTunes page. So, uh, I would highly recommend that everybody go and help us out by spreading the word about the podcast, a good thing you can do for us is rate us on iTunes, and I'll put the link in right here. Um, but in the meanwhile, I would like to read aloud some of these great reviews that we got. And you know what? If, if you don't like us, send us a review too. We'll read it on the air. But you know what? It looks like people do like us. So I'm going to start off um, with uh, a review from Ezekiel Ward, um, who titled the review, Looks Around Mischievously. And he says, Jesus loves you. Fantastic work, guys. Keep it up. Love the likely number nine theories and good critique of my current favorite series. Thank you, Ezekiel. That was very kind. And I'm glad that we're loved. And that's a five-star review. We yeah. should mention oh, yeah. that. Thanks. Um, the uh, next one is from The Collector 22. He says, great first episode. Love the first episode. Nice to be able to go to a podcast just to get Spidey talk. Don't have to wade through all the other comic book topics as well. You know, it, it, it pays to be so myopic in our thoughts, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if anybody else would agree with that in our daily lives, but maybe on the internet that is the case. That's you know, the internet is a powerful place. And I, I, I talk to uh the collector twenty two a lot on Twitter. He's a great guy, great fan, supporter of Chasing Amazing, and I'm glad he's supporting uh our podcast now too. And why don't you take away the last one there, Mark? Sure. Um, this, this is from Cold-Blooded Matt. Um, this is, is titled Simply Amazing, although should it be Simply Superior, but why quibble? It's a great five-star review. He says, amazing, pun intended, not since the S- – oh, boy, what is this, Dan? Smodco. Smodco Network. Oh, man. What is, is, do I know what Smodco is? Or, uh, <laughs> am I, think, I, I think that's Kevin Smith's uh, network. Okay, very good. So not since the Smodco Network have I been so entertained by a podcast. These guys truly know what it is they're talking about and are obviously huge fans of old Webhead. Plus, thanks to them and the Chasing Amazing blog, thank you, I've been inspired to collect all the issues of The Amazing Spider-Man. Thanks for the upcoming adventure, guys, and keep up the great work. Um, you know, obviously, it's great to get good feedback. As Dan said, we will take your bad feedback, too. If our, if our predictions are terrible, if our opinions are terrible, if our love for Superior 9 is terrible, um, we can take your criticism. But, but by all means, feel free to, to please rate us on iTunes. I don't even feel free. Please, please rate us on iTunes um, and, and, you know, just let us, let us know your thoughts. The feedback is really appreciated. Yes, and again, um, you can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes by searching Superior Spider Talk or just Spider-Man, and we're one of the first ones that comes up in the podcast section. And if you do, again, please leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing, um, and we'll read them all on the air like we just have. If you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, please email them to us at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com, and we'll also address those and read them on the air. Um, you can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk um, and give us some comments there as well. We're really just open to everybody giving us feedback. Yeah, so, and uh, Mark, why don't you tell us where we can find more of your work on the internet? Absolutely. Well, um, also, if you want to if you 
can't keep up with all the other things Dan just just sent you. You can always go to uh, chasingamazingblog.com to both get links to the podcast and see my my weekly features. It's usually Mondays and uh, Thursdays I run material. I also do the uh, gimmick or good column at Comics Should Be Good where we look at 90s comics. Um, those those run once a week. Um, day is kind of a moving target, but you can you can generally check on the uh, category list on comics should be good for gimmick or good. Um, and you know we talk about Spidey there. We also talk about some other comics. I, I show that I'm not just writing about the webhead sometimes. Okay, and you can follow me on Twitter at at Dan Gavazdin. Um, or you can visit my movie review website, grindmyreels.com, where I'll be featuring this week my review of Iron Man 3. Um, so check that out. Um, so I guess signing off, uh, this yeah. is Dan Gavazdin. And this is Mark Chinacchio. I uh, hope you enjoy the, the Spider-Man titles as much as we do. And if you don't, that's okay too. Great. See you later.